It is wonderful to be with you again. This is the second time this year making up for not being with you in 2020, so uh, it's just a blessing to be here. I'm hoping to take a little bit of this rain that you have back up to where I live. You know, normally, we have too much rain where I live. Well, we don't have any rain where I live right now. We have smoke, lots of smoke, because Canada's on fire and sending their smoke down to us. And, and then south of us, they're on fire and sending smoke up to us. So uh, it's supposed to be blue skies. It's gray with smoke. So my wife is having to live behind filters here. So anyway, pray for us. We need a little bit of rain. It would be nice. A little bit of rain. <laughs> Take a little of yours so you don't get flash floods. We had a, a great service yesterday, and thank you to those who were able to come. And if you were not able to come, I really encourage you to listen to the Word. I think it's going to be posted, uh, may even be posted video on YouTube after a little bit. But I spoke about the space between, and it's really foundational for what I'm going to speak on this morning. And the space between is the space between what was and the space between what is not yet. And we are kind of always in a space between, aren't we? Uh, and in the space between, sometimes we face good news and sometimes we face bad news. And when we face bad news, we tend to look back at the good news that preceded the bad news. And then we hope some good news comes. And that when we face good news, sometimes we forget about there could be bad news. <laughs> So the space between is an interesting place. And yesterday I shared that when Jesus took the Last Supper with the, the disciples, when he fulfilled Old Covenant Passover, he had a meal with the boys. He said, this is the last time we're doing it like this. From now on, we're going to have the new cup, the cup of the new covenant, the cup of the Spirit. I'm going to drink it with you. And that's in John chapter 13 is John's account of that. But then John 14, John 15, John 16, and John 17, which is a whole lot of reading for some of us, <laughs> is a matter of hours. Because John 18 is the arrest of Jesus, and they take him to be crucified. So between the supper and his arrest is a matter of hours, but it's written in John's story in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And there's some wonderful things found in there that we can expect in the space between the cup of the supper and the cross. The space between the cross and the resurrection. The space between the resurrection and the hiding in the room. The space between the hiding in the room and the ascension of Jesus. The space between the ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There are many spaces between. But we have to find ourselves in the right focus in that place. So this morning, I'm going to be talking on John chapter 14, that Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. So if we go to John 14, and I don't think we have pictures today, so this is like old school. You're going to say, man, I should have brought a Bible. But anyway, maybe you, have, you can listen, or if you want to follow along, open in your phone or in your electronic version or your paper version. But John 14, Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. Now, when Jesus says those words, he says it to his friends that they've just had a wonderful experience. 
They've just had a wonderful experience of an intimate meal, which would have normally have been a Passover meal, but he turns it into a testimony of something that's being birthed, something that's being fulfilled, something that's being released that's never been seen before. So the presence of Holy Spirit in that room where Jesus was when he shared that meal was no doubt tangible. And the disciples of Jesus who were at that meal no doubt felt the manifest presence of the Spirit of God in Jesus, upon Jesus, and with Jesus. And it affected the atmosphere of the room. And then Jesus says these words to them, Don't let your heart be troubled. And then he's going to talk to them. See, they, they don't know that he's going to be crucified. Yeah, he's, he's said some words like that, but what they heard was wah, 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 because they heard he's the king. He's coming to establish the kingdom of Israel. So God could say to every one of us today, whether we're in a good situation or a troubling situation, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I like some translations take that word, the Greek word mansions, they, and say dwellings. I'm going to put that word in here. In my Father's house there are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I prepare. Maybe we think that mansion, you know, for me, maybe I'm thinking, oh, God's got a place prepared for me. It's a big log house. There's hunting in heaven. And it's a place that's on a lake and there's lots of forest. It's a mansion that he's prepared for me. Maybe we think like that. But Jesus, if we read all of John 14, Jesus is presenting to them that he is a dwelling place of the Father as a human being. And he's about to tell them, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. But he's talking to them as the only dwelling place of God on planet Earth at the time. In John 14, he's, we have a record of John writing about a real experience with real human beings, with Jesus as a real man who was the only human being on planet Earth at that time who was a dwelling place of God. And he's about to tell them, he's saying, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. He's not talking about just where are you going to go when you die. He's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I've demonstrated to you what it is to be a place where God of heaven lives on earth. I've demonstrated to you what it looks like to be a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, a dwelling place of God in the earth. A place where God lives so that in every season of your life, you don't have to let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place so that where I am, you will be also. Now we have to read the rest of the chapter to really understand that. Because he's not just saying, you have your life and then someday you'll come to where I am and we'll be together. He's saying the day of you having your life is over. The day of us having our life together is now. 
He's saying today is the day that the Father has longed for. All right? So he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, where I am, there you may be also. So God is our Father, and together we are the family that is a multifaceted dwelling place of God. We're a holy habitation. I could say, I am a holy habitation of God. Now, I want you to be able to say that from your heart. I am a holy habitation of God. Now, don't be confused with what you see in the mirror. Matter of fact, Paul wrote this to an early church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, We're, we aren't in that old covenant where you had experiences with God and you had to remember them. We're in a place where each of us can turn and see Jesus in our hearts. And we behold it in a mirror. We, we see it when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Now, it's really dim. You have to look really deep because it's, it's like a... It's like a mirror. It's not really clear. But God is doing something in us. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed and we're transformed from glory to glory. He's changing us. So when you look in the mirror, do not look at what has not changed. When you look in the mirror, don't see the image of your pastor. Don't see the image of your holy friend. When you look in the mirror, look at yourself. But now look a little deeper because you have a father who loves you. And if you've even leaned your heart in his direction, he's leaned all of himself in your direction. <laughs> See, he's not hesitant in giving you all of who he is. He understands your reluctance. <laughs> and he knows he's patient. So we'll get there. I'm already there, and I'm inviting you to get there too. So when you look in the mirror, look in the mirror. It's dimly, but you see I'm changing you from glory to glory. So in the midst of every situation, God is doing something in his dwelling place. So that his dwelling place can have an effect on the world that it dwells in. So... We are the place of God's habitation. We are the place of God's presence. Together, we're a bigger place, but individually, we're places. Now, it's a, it's a coming. Matter of fact, we often talk about, you know, it's amazing how when life gets troubled, we start talking about the second coming of Jesus. Now, really, there's only one place in the Bible other than your subtitles that says second coming and it says he comes first for judgment but he comes a second time for salvation it's in hebrews there's no other place where it says second coming it's in the headline they added because we always want to explain it on the event now is there a second coming i believe there's a second coming for us all <laughs> but you have to have a first coming which is judgment. Now, here's the judgment you need. Mercy! That's a judgment. Mercy does not live in the house of grace, but the house of grace lives because of mercy. And the house of grace can be merciful 
Because mercy is what got the house of grace to be the house of grace in the first place. But mercy is a judgment for those who were bound to the law. And how do we know they were bound to the law? They should have been right and they were wrong. Because there is a right and there is a wrong. But mercy frees you from being stuck in the place where you were wrong. And now that you've had that judgment, he comes a second time for salvation. Now, the Greek word for come, the most common words are parousia and ekome. And they're both words that are not future tense words. Their tense is happened and continuing to happen. So there is a coming of the Lord Jesus for you today if you know He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. If you don't know that, you'll spend time spinning your wheels in your way, your truth, and your life, and you'll miss heaven today, and you might experience a glimpse when you get beyond this life, but you'll waste a lot of years. And as a friend of mine used to say, I used to travel with a friend who had whiter hair than me, and he, he would go to the front desk of the hotel, and he'd say, hey, look at me now. This, this, by now you've discerned there are more years behind me than there are ahead of me, so we don't have a lot of time to waste here, and I need you to help me here. <laughs> so, so I'm simply saying that is, look, look in the mirror and also realize we don't have a whole lot of time to waste here. There might be more days behind us than there are ahead of us in this world. <laughs> So, Jesus needs to come into your life today. For what reason? Salvation. He already came for judgment. What is it? Mercy. Do you believe in the cross? Do you believe that the blood of Jesus freed you from condemnation? Do you believe that it brought healing, brought victory, brought all of the things of the provision of life? Do you believe that He passed over your sins and gave you a connection to God as your Father? Do you believe that He judged the enemy and broke the chains and the shackles that held you bound and made a judgment on your behalf as a heavenly Father to declare, Mercy, come on in here. If you believe that, then you have experienced judgment. Now he comes a second time. Yes, is there an ultimate second coming? Of course, everything has a maturation to fruition. But I got news for you. You know, the last trumpet in, in the biblical terms, the last trumpet is the trumpet that sounds the last day of harvest. You shouldn't wait until the last day of harvest to be rejoicing. You should be rejoicing every day of the harvest. And then on the last day of the harvest, you got something to really celebrate. Why? Your barns are full. Your vats are overflowing. Come on, farmers. Come on. You've been working hard all season long. Should be rejoicing in the harvest. Well, there'll be a last trumpet. And you know what? It's not a sad day. It's a great day. Hallelujah. Praise God. He blessed the peppers. He blessed the watermelons. Oh, praise God. He blessed the beans. Oh, goodness. He even blessed the cattle. There's a last day of celebration on harvest. Everybody has a last trumpet to their life. 
You don't know when your last trumpet is. Don't wait until the last day to celebrate. For goodness sakes, celebrate. The watermelons are in the field. Come on, the peppers are on the vines. For goodness sakes, the tomatoes are ready to gather. The harvest is on. Jesus says, the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Lift up your eyes. The harvest is white. <laughs> so we need a coming of Jesus for salvation in every season of our lives. We need Jesus to come. So that where we are, he is. And where he is, we are. Let's go on in John 14. John 14, 5 Thomas said to him, now Thomas is often known as the doubter, right? We gave him the reputation, the doubting Thomas. Well, maybe doubting Thomas, at least Thomas wanted something real. I could say on faking Thomas. I don't know that God sees Thomas as a doubter. He sees him, okay, Thomas, you want the real deal? Here, put your hands here. <laughs> Blessed are those who, who believe and don't see, Thomas, but I get, I get it, you want it to be real. I, I think God admires that. I think we have a whole millennial generation that is a Thomas generation. They may be asking questions us older people don't like them asking, but at least they want something real. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we get it. Sometimes older guys, we, we get you got you got to believe it before you can see it. But, you know, sometimes we believe stuff that wasn't real. <laughs> And we ended up worshiping phantoms and ghosts. Maybe that went over our heads, but... <laughs> you know, we, we, we were believing in the dream, and all along, we had already had a family. We, we were believing in, in a ministry, but already, all along, we had friends and neighbors. We, we had a life that passed us by because we were looking for a life that wasn't ours. Hmm. <laughs> oh, come on, Ted. Quit saying stuff like that. Anyway, John 14, verse 5. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am. Now, I am. The, he's the way, the truth, and the life to come to the Father. Now, if you're waiting to come to the Father when you die, you're waiting too long. Because unless you come to the Father, you won't know who you are. You know who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. That's who you are. That'll cause you to have a different attitude. That'll cause you to act different. That'll cause you to be a blesser instead of a taker. That'll make you satisfied, but also not satisfied. Because you'll know there's more. <laughs> but you have to come to the Father to know that. You have to see God as your father. You can't just see God as God. You have to see God as your father because unless you see him as your father, you won't see yourself as a son. You won't see yourself as a daughter. You might see yourself as a slave. You'll see yourself having to serve God in some obligation. I got news for you. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's an inspiration. You know, I have to remember, you know, I got up this morning. I did run my six miles. Yesterday, I had to dodge your drops pretty healthily. I had to wait a little later in the morning, and I made it my six miles but without getting wet. And today, I, I made it also. I made it before the rain hit again. 
but I made my six miles. But one of the things I tell myself, because, you know, this is, I'm about to complete my 66th year. So one of the things I tell myself before I do my six miles, you get to, not you have to. And one of the reasons I run it is because I can. Now, if it wasn't something that was, that was something I could do, then I'd have to figure out something else I could do, I get to do. <laughs> now, I'm not saying my story of running six miles to get you to run six miles, but what's your get to? What is your get to? Life is meant to be lived. And life is meant to be a demonstration of being a place where God dwells. All right? Now, Jesus, as a human being, he demonstrated what it looks like to be a human being that God was in, God was upon, and God was with. As a human being, not as God, but as a human being, Jesus, the only one on planet Earth at the time of this story we're reading in John 14, could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. (laughs) If you've seen me, you've seen the Spirit. You see, it's in Him I live, it's in Him I move, it's in Him I have my being. He gives me life, breath, and all things. He's my God, I'm a testimony of Him, and He's my partner in all things. You see, I'm living those feasts as a human being that religiously would be called Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. But God never wanted Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. He wanted people who knew from their heart, God, you're my God, you're my God. And he wanted people who had an outward testimony that, whoa, we're God people. And he wanted people who lived every day of life in their marriage, in their job, driving the bus, driving the truck, working in the field, whatever they're doing, they would know that we're doing this in partnership with our Father to bring glory to God in everything that our hands touch. Now, Jesus demonstrated that as a human being. He didn't just do it in the three and a half years of ministry. He did it in the 30 years working in a carpenter shop. I've had to be a little bit like Jesus this year uh, because this year, you know, I've, I've been based at home a lot because of the COVID thing. But then, and I keep facing these construction emergencies. If you were to get close and look at my hands right now, this pastor has calluses on both hands. I got cuts. I got pain. I got all kinds of stuff because I've been working. I have a whole set of construction tools again. I, I, I told my wife, this is scary because this is my 66th year and I could actually, I could, I could actually do construction work. Because <laughs> I remodeled our church building early to early morning to late at night for two straight months. And, and then how many of you ever read that, um, that book, You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Anybody know that book for kids? You, you never give a mouse a cookie? Who knows that story? Anybody? Nobody knows? A couple of you. You never give a mouse a cookie because you give him a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. You give him a glass of milk, he's going to want a napkin, right? You give him a napkin, he's going to, I don't know, you gotta sweep up the crumbs. It, it goes the whole life. Well, in our house, we needed a new oven. So we bought a new oven, but we bought a stainless steel oven, which meant we needed a stainless steel fridge. And we bought a stainless steel fridge, which meant we needed new 
countertops. We bought new countertops, which meant we had to paint the cabinets. We painted the cabinets, which meant we had to paint all the interior walls of the house. And we painted the walls, which meant we had to paint the trim. And since we painted the interior of the house, it meant we had to paint the exterior of the house. Or shall we say, we, being me, had to do all that. <laughs> so we gave a mouse a cookie at our house. <laughs> but guess what? In all of that, it was in him I live, move, and have my being, even in the carpenter shop. So Jesus demonstrated that kind of a life. Now, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the way. You see, Jesus, he's our righteousness. He gives us righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you don't eat or what you drink or you don't drink. It's not about what you do or you don't do. That's not the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is righteousness in the Holy Spirit, peace in the Holy Spirit, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I believe those three things correlate to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way from this moment to tomorrow. The way from this morning through this day. The way... In my marriage right now, in 44 years of marriage, the way of grandpa to four granddaughters and one grandson, the way to dealing with this situation, the way is righteousness. But it's not a righteousness according to the flesh. It's not a righteousness according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a righteousness according to a relationship with God. God is in me. I have a relationship with God. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't become right. That's how I got a relationship. Jesus gave me a relationship. He gave me the key to a relationship with God as my father. And that's what even changes me to become right. So my righteousness is Jesus is the way. My connection to Jesus. So that where I am, He is. Where He is, I am. If my marriage fails, it's not God's fault. It's because I didn't find the way. I didn't find the truth. I didn't find the life. Or there's two partners. I get it. But somebody didn't find the way. Somebody didn't find the truth. Somebody didn't find the life. Okay? Oh, it was you? All right. Okay, that was yesterday. Today is today. All right? Mercy! All right, now we took care of that. So now, welcome to today. So now, you can dwell on yesterday and beat up on yourself for your, you were right, but you ended up right on the couch. <laughs> or you can come to this place called now, and I can say, hi, I'm glad to see you here. Welcome. This is where you live. Yesterday, you can't live there. So, hi, I'm so glad to see you today. 
<laughs> so now that you're here, you need to find the way. You need righteousness, a right relationship with God as your father. And it's only through Jesus that you have this righteousness. Then you also need peace. Well, not like the world gives. Jesus is going to address that in this chapter. He says, I'm going to give you peace, but not as the world gives. The peace that the world gives, as long as there's no conflict, we call that peace. Or as long as it affects somebody else, but not me, we can say we have peace. (laughs) That's peace, peace, where there is no peace. I think I told you a long time ago, you know, those dinner plates, maybe you have them on your wall, those collectibles. Grandma has them, Aunt Susie has them, you know, maybe you have them, I don't know, but that there's one, there's a dinner plate, and it has a mountain cabin on a little river stream with snow-capped mountains in the background. It looks like a Thomas Kincaid painting. And, and the, the little log cabin looks like it's about maybe six feet from the riverbank. And it says, peaceful solitude. When I looked at that, I put, I looked at it, I thought, lie. Why? I live where there are mountains. I didn't see a house in that picture. What I saw was a boat. Because snow's going to melt. And the river is not going to be a little stream anymore. It's going to be a big, big torrent. And the flat riverbank isn't going to defend the house from the river. And we're going to say, bye-bye, little log cabin. It's going to be Noah's Ark really quick. Whoo, right out of there. Okay. But most people's definition of peaceful solitude is simply, oh, it looks good at the moment. No, peace is having your house in the right place. So that whether the snow is melting or the snow is falling, it stands. Okay? So peace in the Holy Spirit is you are in a place where there's no separation between you and God. No separation. That means whatever is in heaven is going to be manifested in your life today, tomorrow. Yeah? They say in Portugal, Ujan Amina. It's pretty close to Spanish, I'm sure, sure. But uh, <laughs> today and tomorrow, okay? So, so they, they, whatever is in heaven is destined to be in your house. This is the truth. No matter what your circumstances is, you have peace. In the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is the truth. There's no gap between you and heaven, so whatever. And you know what the purpose of truth is? Makes you free. So what does truth do? It destroys lies. It doesn't expose lies so that you can celebrate them. It doesn't expose lies so that you can say, Ha ha! I knew it was a lie! It's not, truth is not anti-lie. Truth is truth. And lie can't live there. So truth crumbles lies. Your connection to God is going to crumble every lie. And then joy in the Holy Spirit is connected to purpose. Your partnership with God. Let's go on in John 14, verse 7. He says to his friends, his disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, 
And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Jesus, a dwelling place of God as a human being, says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He's saying the Father who is in heaven is in me as a man. Uh, Let me stop right here a moment and just give you a flash report about Jesus. He didn't come to fix his world. He came to fix yours. Let me give you a news flash in case you didn't know it. God didn't have a problem. You did. God didn't have a problem seeing who you are. You had a problem seeing who you are. Because you didn't see Him for who He is. That was our problem. The problem was we were disconnected from being a place that's joined to Him so we didn't know Him. So Jesus came not as God. He became one of us and demonstrated what us should look like. He demonstrated what human beings really are. They're really dwelling places of God in the earth. That's what human beings really are. But if they don't know that, they become dwelling places of other things. They become dwelling places of greed, dwelling places of selfishness, dwelling places of demonic influence, perversion, perverted things, twisted, not true. Jesus came to redeem the human race. He didn't come to give you Christianity. He came to give you Christ in humanity. He didn't come so that you would know what kind of church you should be on Sunday. He came so that you would know what kind of church you are seven days a week, 24 hours a day, whether you're on your own or in a room with somebody else. He came so that you would know that you are the gate of heaven. You are the means by which God brings blessings into the world. He's the word, but you're the voice. Oh, so I'm no voice. Of course you're a voice. You've been influencing somebody all your life. The question is, what's the influence? Okay, let me give you a reset. Mercy, I'm so glad to see you today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that the past is over and today is today. So what are we going to do now? Yeah? The tempo é agora. It's time is now. What are we going to do now? As they say in Portugal, right? <laughs> so, in John chapter 14, he's saying to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says that as a human being. Now, increasingly, we should be able to say, because of grace, because of God in our life, we should be able to increasingly say, If you've seen me, you've seen something of the Father. 
I said that in a lightweight way. Really, God wants us to be able to say what Jesus said. I did it. The end of my life, I can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I'm in Him, and He's in me. (laughs) How am I going to reveal you, Jesus, and reveal you, Father, to my world? So the way, the truth, and the life is the, is how it's going to happen. See, Jesus didn't do anything without being a habitation of God. He was a temple of Holy Spirit in all things. You should not do anything. You cannot do anything without being a place of the habitation of God. What comes out of your mouth is going to be determined by who you see yourself to be. When you look out the window of your house or you're influenced by peer pressure, people making stupid decisions, and you're influenced by it, How you respond to that, whether you get involved with stupid decisions too, or you are an influencer of good life. It depends on how you see yourself. I've told this story many times, and I'm sure I've told it here. But my second son, Aaron, when he was 14 years old, Andrew Shearman gave a message on 14-year-olds discipling 12-year-olds 16-year-olds discipling 14-year-olds. He talked about everybody needs to be discipling somebody because everybody's an influence on somebody. And we had a young man in our church. His name's Chris. And he got in trouble for shoplifting. He was 14 years old or 12 years old. My son was 14. And he got in trouble for shoplifting. So my son Aaron went to him and said, Hey, Chris, I heard you got in trouble for shoplifting. Is that right? And he said, Yeah. He said, Do you know why that is? And he said, No. He says, Because you're hanging around the wrong people. That's why. He says, I want you, why don't you hang around me? Okay. Now, through the teenage years, my oldest son and my second son were 19, 19 months apart. And at our house, uh, we had all shapes, all sizes, all colors, all creeds of guys at our house. And it was never a question, can somebody spend the night? It was always a question, how many? We had one to eight every night. Um, I lost my garage when my son turned 15 because he came home with an Audi, tore it apart with his friends. And from then on, I never had a garage. But the good news is I always knew where my son was and I always knew where his friends were because they were always at our house. (laughs) And I found out later that... um, my son Aaron said, I didn't like Chris. I didn't like him. Actually, I didn't like him at all. But I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that I was responsible. They became best friends. They became really good friends. And, and uh, Chris got turned around. Chris became a God man. So you are not born into this world to be influenced by others. You were born to influence others in a life-giving way. Now, you might do that quiet, and you might do that loud. Now, what's going to determine your ability to influence others? Who do you hang around? 
And the first one you need to hang around is God. <laughs> now, you don't hang around God so that you can condemn others. You don't hang around God so that you can shame others. Because you'll have stupid moments too. <laughs> Jesus said, pray like this. Father, forgive me of my stupid moments. Exactly is the same way that I forgive others in being stupid toward me. Everybody's going to have some stupid moments. But the more you hang around the one who's not stupid, <laughs> the less stupid moments you'll have. <laughs> and then you won't be a condemner of stupid people. You'll lead stupid people into enlightenment. <laughs> and everybody will be a whole lot better off. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus is setting the way for us. In John 14, 12, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Do you believe in him? He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what does it mean to ask something in His name? Y'all get nervous now. Why? Because you know the name of water, don't you? It's not a label. It's a character, a nature, a way, a power, and an authority. It will make you wet. <laughs> and so you've experienced the name water. Okay, it says on here, purified drinking water. I hope. <laughs> But that's like the internet says purified drinking water. I'm pretty sure that's purified drinking water. <laughs> now, I don't believe it because simply because the label said it. I believe it because the name says it. The character, the nature, the way. Whatever you ask in my name. Don't do stupid things and then say, I'm stupid in Jesus' name. And think you're stupid is now good. I hate you in Jesus' name. I divorced you in Jesus' name. I reject you in Jesus' name. I curse you in Jesus' name. No, that's not the name of Jesus. That's the name of self attaching a name to it, pretending it's purified drinking water. 
That's substituting Christ in you for a, a Chiquita banana label. God wants us to be a dwelling place of Him so that we can ask things in His name. And whatever we ask in His name will be done. Whatever comes out of us that is Him, that is character, nature, way, power, authority. Don't let your heart be troubled because whatever you're walking through, whatever comes out of you, that's the character, the nature, the way, the power, and the authority of God, it'll be done. <laughs> whatever comes out of the dwelling place that testifies you are a dwelling place will happen. So what are you a dwelling place of? To ask something in Jesus' name is to manifest the character, the nature, the way, the power, the authority of Christ who is in us. And that empowers us to fulfill the will of God. Going on in verse 15, he said, If you love me, you keep my commandments. Now, keeping his commandments won't cause you to love him. Matter of fact, keeping His commandments might empower you to hate Him. But loving Him will empower you to keep His commandments. Okay, uh, Wives, submitting to your husbands won't empower you to love them. But loving them might empower you to submit to them because they're going to be stupid. Okay? And husbands, loving your wives as an action, as a command, isn't going to make you love your wives. Because loving your wives is actually a get to, a submission, a want to. It's a submission to. I tip in your direction. I give you life. And the wife says, whoa, you're giving life? Here I am. I, I, I receive that life. And then the husband says, I believe in you, honey. You're awesome. And she says, whoa, I, I hear that. Yeah, I am awesome. And then he says, whoa, come on up here alongside of me. And let's reign and rule together. And she says, whoa, oh, up, up there? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll come up there alongside of you. That's good relationship. But it's not a commandment of what you must do. It's an empowerment because of who you are. So, he says, I'll pray the Father. This is verses I want to get to today. You'll have to be on your own on a lot of this. Or I'll blog on this on Mondays. You can follow my Monday blog, Ted for You. He says, I'll pray the Father and He'll give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. So don't expect the world to see truth or to know truth. Are you okay with that? Which means then you can't condemn the world for not knowing truth. Why? They don't see Him and they don't know Him. So it's not your job to shame them for what they can't see and what they don't know. It's your job to see Him and to know Him so that you can show them truth. 
says, the world can't receive him. But then he says to his disciples, he says, they neither sees him or knows him. But you, my disciples with me right now in this story, you know him. And he dwells with you. This is old covenant, by the way. There's one new covenant man here in this story. Jesus. Everybody else is an old covenant human being. What's the difference? New covenant has Christ in you. Old covenant has God come to you. If God comes to you, and that's how you base your relationship with God, you have a relationship with experiences. But if you become a dwelling place of God, you have a relationship with a person. If God comes to you and does something for you, you have a relationship with what was done for you. And you constantly try to remember what was done for you when things aren't happening now. And it doesn't change you. It doesn't give you life. It makes you frustrated. It even can make you bitter. You start getting angry. You start saying, well, why don't you come again? But in the new covenant, you're like Jesus. You become a place where the Father lives. You have eternal life, which John 17 says is to know Jesus Christ the Son and to know God the Father. That is eternal life. It doesn't start when you die. It's right now in this very moment. If you don't have eternal life, Let me tell you, hi, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad you've tuned in online. I'm so glad you're in this room. Let me introduce you. He wants you to come to him. You can come boldly. He paid a price for you to come so that you can know Jesus. You can know him and you can know the Father. It's made possible by Holy Spirit. In the old covenant, he could be with you, but now he wants to be with you and in you. In you. And then you'll you'll know him. You have eternal life. What does it mean to have eternal life? I have eternal life. That means I can't be killed. I have eternal life. That means this present circumstance cannot destroy me. Why? He already came a first time for me with judgment. Mercy! He now comes to me for salvation. And He is my salvation in this present situation. Why? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's coming. The word parousia, ikume, is a perfect and imperfect tense. Constantly happening. Not some event that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I wish we would read Bible instead of fictitious Batman stories about Bible. (laughs) Come on. We don't need to scare people. It, It was the kisses of God that won me over. It was the kindness of God that brought me to repentance. It was the goodness of God that changed my heart. I didn't come to Jesus because I was scared to death of hell. I came to Jesus because I was overwhelmed by Jesus. I was overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus. And when I confessed Jesus as Lord, it wasn't a have to, it was a want to. I believe in a world where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That doesn't mean 
Uger Jesus is going to make you grovel and crawl on your knees. It means I'm believing for shackles to be broken, chains to be broken, lives to be healed, lives to be transformed. So you can read the rest of John 14. But here's the way he said, I'm going to be in you as I have been with you. And then he even says in Luke 14, 49, he says, I'm going to even be upon you. So to be a human being, man or a woman, young or old, you have to be a dwelling place of God. Jesus is the way. God in you is going to be your answer to righteousness today. And then Jesus is the truth. What is inside of you is a testimony of your connection to heaven. So what is inside of you is going to be what you end up being clothed in on the outside. That's peace in the Holy Spirit. That's truth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, right here, right now, as it is in heaven. That's truth. Okay? Take your situation right now that you're in. I say, Jesus, you're the righteousness. You're my way. How am I going to be through today? You're in me. God is in me. I'm a dwelling place. And what is going to be the testimony? Truth is going to crumble every lie, which means my connection to God, because you are in me, is also going to be what spills over and is upon me, upon my family, upon my business, not just to speak in tongues, but also to speak in tongues, not just to prophesy, but also to have a a prophetic farm, a prophetic business, a prophetic marriage, a life-speaking, life-giving testimony that says His kingdom come, His will is done, truth is crumbling the lie. And then He's also still with us. But He's not with us to judge us. He's with us to save us. He partners with us. And that should give us great purpose great joy what I am in right now is what he is in right now because he prepared a place so that where I am he is read all of John 14 he prepared a place so that where he is I can be not just when I die but today right now so I'm going to pray our father we come to you you know where we're at I pray for us all in this room and those online right now. I pray for anyone who would not really experience you. I pray for them right now to experience, experience you. You can even throw your hand up if you want that. To experience you, to know you, Jesus, to know you, Father God. Because we were born in this world to be a dwelling place of you. Jesus, you demonstrated a human being in a carpenter shop. You demonstrated a human being meeting the needs of the oppressed, the afflicted, the demonized, even raising the dead. You demonstrated what it is to be a dwelling place of God as a human being and bringing life wherever you go. So I pray that we all would would go another measure in that today. Bring before you, God, what's in my life and what's in our lives. And I say the answer from this hour of the day to the finish of this day is, Jesus, you're the way. You're in me. The answer to this day is, 
What's in me is also going to be upon me. I have peace in the Holy Spirit. I'm clothed in a heavenly testimony because you're the truth. And the result of this day, the purpose of this day, is going to be great joy to the glory of your name because you're also with me. You are partnering with me as a dwelling place of you because in you I live, in you I move, in you I have my being. Therefore, in this world, it's in me that you live. It's in me that you move. It's in me that you have your being. The miracles of you, Father God, are going to be demonstrated through me because I'm a dwelling place of you. If that was a hard prayer for you to hear or to believe, I want you to practice this week believing that a little bit. I want you to quit looking at your life as your life. And I want you to understand God loves your life. He came to live there. He'll take you to His soon enough. But don't waste another moment. He likes your life. He likes your kitchen table. He likes your truck. He likes your car. He likes your idiosyncrasies, your uniqueness. And He just wants you to see Him. And to see you. And to be a place that knows Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.